Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. you to take a Bible. Uh, If you don't have one, there's one in the pew in front of you. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. It won't be very far that you have to turn, the first page or two, depending on how it's formatted. Um, Chuck Colson once said uh, this. He said, the greatest gift Christianity gave the world other than the message of salvation is the idea of the image of God. The greatest gift that Christianity gave the world other than salvation is the idea of the image of God. When we talk about life, we cannot separate it from this idea of being made in the image of God. And the place where we get this idea for the first time in Scripture is way in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And this is what we're going to look today. And and the image of God matters deeply. It, It matters for both men and women who both bear the image of God. It matters for how we see one another. It it matters for how we engage in all sorts of societal things. It it matters when we talk about conversations of life and conversations of abortion. We talk about conversations of sex or war. Or we talk about conversations of conflict within family. The image of God is central to understanding who we are and who God has made each one of us to be in his image. And this comes to us in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, I invite you uh, to please rise in body or in spirit for the reading of the scriptures this morning. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read verse 26 and following. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man, or mankind, or humankind, in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Evening came and morning, the sixth day. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have stamped a divine image upon each one of us in this room. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand what that means in greater fullness as we study this morning. God, that we would look at ourselves the way you see us, and that we would look at one another in the way that you see all of us. Um, Lord, thank you that you have given us life in Jesus today. How the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, God. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And we want to walk in the abundant life of Christ today. 
the one who is our life, the one who is our hope, the one who is our truth, the one who is our Lord. We pray this with great hopefulness in the finished work of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Genesis chapter 1, absolutely fundamental to how we understand human life. We've been studying Genesis 1 for the last several weeks, and um, we've taken kind of different themes uh, in this year. Um, One of the things that we find in Genesis 1-1 is this great summary statement. In the beginning, um, I was going to give you John 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When, it begin, when God begins writing this through Moses, he, he's saying, here's all the things I have made. And then it goes to detail how he has made what he has made. And then it goes to detail about how he gives life to all those things that he has made. And so verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1 is a summary. And the following verses in the chapter, they, they reveal those things that relate specifically to his love and his plan for mankind. That's what one writer says. Um, and he says specifically in our reading today that he made human beings in his image according to his likeness. Which means human beings are totally distinct and separate from all of the other things that God created. So day one happens, day two, three, four, five, so on. He, he separates sky, and, and he makes light, and, and he makes animals, and he makes birds. But when he comes to the sixth day, it says that he creates human beings in his image. He, he creates them in his likeness. I love the idea of this um, a picture of likeness because it has to do with he created human beings to be spiritually in relationship, emotionally in relationship with himself. When we think about this idea of image, it's actually the word in Hebrew called tselem. Tselem. And it, and it can be translated likeness or image. It, it means that, that we are God's viceroy or his representative or a witness among all of the, creature, the, the creatures. Tselem. Uh, later in the text, he's going to say, you know, I want you to rule and I, and I want you to care for. I want you to subdue. I want you to work. I want you as human beings to care for the world I have placed you in. Because it goes back to this idea, I want you to be my image. I want you to be the one who bears my name in the sphere of life and influence that you have. One of my Hebrew professors in seminary, Dr. Russ Meek, put it this way. He says, in the world where the Old Testament was written, this word, tselem or image, referred to little statues that kings would fashion that looked like them. And they would set them up around their kingdom. They were placed at the very edges of the kingdom as boundary markers to show that the land, the image, belonged to the king. These statues were also placed in other spots around the kingdom, all with the intention of showing the people that the king was, well, the king. They reminded the king's subjects who their lord was. So what kings would do is they would make these statues, they'd place them around the kingdom so that you knew what place you were in. 
when God creates the whole world, and this is the story he's telling, the story is in like real true life story, telling through Moses to the people of Israel who had come out of Egypt. Like they're getting this writing. They'd heard these stories before, I would imagine, but God is telling them this through Moses because as they come out of Egypt being slaves, Moses is writing down for them, this is who you are, this is who your God is. They were well acquainted with kings would put their images all over their kingdom. And God is saying, I've created a kingdom. It's called the world. And I'm going to place my image bearers all around the kingdom. Now, it's important to know that he's not saying that we become um, him. Like, like, but we are somehow specially in relationship with him such that we bear his image. We are created, like, let's be very clear, we are created beings after God's likeness, and God is uncreated. So, so we, we need to understand that because that's what happens with the fall. Man and woman, Adam and Eve, say we can be like God. Not be the likeness of God to the world, but we can be like God was the way that they were tempted. And so they take of the apple because they wanted to be gods unto themselves. When God purposed that they would be his image bearers, that they would reflect his likeness, that they would show forth his light to the world, that they would be his representatives in all the things that he would want them to do on the earth. And so you go around this kingdom and they're getting this image of we are supposed to be from the opening pages of Genesis people who remind everyone else who God is and where life can be found. This is the idea of image according to an ancient Near Eastern worldview. Of course, Genesis 3 happens, which we'll study in a couple weeks. Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve, they, they experience this desire to, uh, they experience and act on a desire to become gods unto themselves. And instead of imaging their creator, they actually become images unto themselves. See, the thing about, when we talk about images, I love the way John Piper, Pastor John Piper puts it. He says, images are created to image. What he's saying is, we will all image something. We will all bear forth something. The question is, is are we bearing forth God to the world? That's the way that you and I were created. And when sin happened in Genesis 3, there was a fellowship that was broken with God, and and it separated mankind spiritually and relationally from God because of sin. Images are created to image. You could put it this way. You were stamped with God's image. I should say in the present tense, you are stamped in God's image. You bear the image of God. Even if you are not a follower of Jesus here today, the fact that you have the ability to relate spiritually and to relate emotionally, God has created you for that kind of intimate fellowship with him. That's the kind of fellowship that he wants to restore through the person and the work of Jesus. You bear God's image. God was purposeful in creating you. If you are male, if you are female, God designed you that way with intentionality. You are not a mistake. 
Your neighbor is not a mistake. Your child is not a mistake. Anyone else in your family or your friends or, or your community, they're not a mistake. They're made and stamped with the image of God on their life. You bear God's image. How does God's understanding of this image then shape the life decisions we face in 2024? Well, Scripture clearly expresses that human beings are made in God's image. And this includes all human beings from the point of conception to natural death. And we talk a lot, rightfully so, about this point of conception and about the, 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 the image of God stamped upon children who are still in the womb of a mom. I was reading earlier this week, and in our culture, our greater culture, specifically more towards the country to the north of us, th there, is, there is even an assault upon people who are aging or who are experiencing various health things. And, and there's like a medical aid in dying, I believe is what it's called. That likewise is an assault against the image of God. Because every person, no matter what their journey is and has been, they're dear to the heart of God. They, they, they find purpose and meaning not because they've done anything, but because God has said, you bear my image. And so as people created in the image of God, God, God calls us to be people who stand for life and who stand for truth. We get this image of who we are all the way back in Genesis. It's not just in Genesis. Another great verse and chapter that has to do with this is Psalm 119. You may know this psalm. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. The psalmist says, I will praise you because, you, because I have been fe fearfully and remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know this very well. He goes on to say, my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Your life is intentionally created by God. You matter to God. See, the thing about Genesis 1 is it gives us the ideal state. You were made in God's image. But then to quote John Piper again one more time, um, the fall did not destroy God's image in us, but it did deface it. When, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, their fellowship was broken with God in a very deep way, such that when they um, looked at their lives after that, they, 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 they recognized something changed. See, they were made to bear the image of their creator. And the only way they can bear the image of their creator is, is to gaze upon their creator, is to be in fellowship, in relationship with their creator. This is an Egyptian mirror from 2000, 1000 BC. J just imagine you're in the ancient period and you're looking at yourself. You're looking at your image. Now, we have different kinds of mirrors today where you might be able to see everything. This one's been polished to what they think it may have looked like. And actually, if you look up here in the very top part of this, you'll, you'll see the phrase backwards, Nikon. So apparently whoever took the photo had a, a Nikon camera. That, that's how shiny it is. Like, people, like, we're, we're, we're pretty accustomed to go 
before the um, mirror in the morning and say, all right, is, is my hair in the right place? Probably isn't. Is, are my glasses on straight? Probably not. Uh, is my shirt collar down? Or whatever it is that we do. We were made, though, to look at God and to reflect, kind of like a mirror, his image to the world. What happened at the fall is Adam and Eve said, I'd rather point this mirror and just face it right back on myself so that I can look at myself in the mirror. Instead of pointing that mirror on an angle to reflect God through me to the rest of the world. When that moment happened in Genesis 3, here's the way it puts it in the text. We'll look at this more in depth in a couple weeks. But it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they saw that they were naked. Or it actually says that they knew that they were naked. They had this understanding that something changed because before it said that they were naked and unashamed. And now they know they're naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made loincloths for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Notice what they do. And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Where God used to walk down in the cool of the day and he would have relationship with them. Where they would look at him and, and he would look at them. And nothing separated them relationally or emotionally or spiritually. After they sinned, after they chose to look at themselves in the mirror instead of reflect God to the world. They knew something had changed and they hid Shame entered into the story. Guilt entered into the story. Notice how God responds, though, in the next verses. He says, so the Lord God called out to the man, and he said to him, where are you? Don't you love that about God? God could have said, like, all right, we're done here. Start over. But he goes, and he says, where are you? See, when they had stopped looking for God, God was still looking for them. God still wanted to be in relationship with them. Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid. This is Adam saying here. Because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you? This is God saying this. Who told you that you were naked? Of course, God knew what happened. And he says, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? See, when Adam and Eve took the fruit... They began to look at a different image of themselves instead of the image that God had stamped upon them of himself. And in doing so, God knows that sin enters the world. He knows that shame enters the world. He knows that guilt enters the world. And all these things affect us even to today. As I was preparing for this weekend, I, I read a story um, or, or I read a quote, I guess I should say, um, by Diana Ferraro in an episode of the Axis One Conversation podcast. Axis.org, by the way, parents, I think it's Axis.org, A-X-I-S, is a fantastic resource for cultural conversations that you can have with your students, and it gives you kind of helpful templates. Here's what one of them says. Um, this person's asked why women typically choose abortion, and she told us in this podcast, quote, a woman in an unplanned pregnancy is scared to death. All they can do is worry about, what will my parents do? Am I going to be kicked out of the house? And will my boyfriend hate me? She later added, an abortion is an act of desperation. It's the enemy whispering in their ear, you can't do this. You've made a huge mistake. 
you're a sinner. Now you need to take care of this and get an abortion to cover this up. Shame, guilt enter into the story. But I love what she goes on to say. Here's what she says. There is nothing so devastating that God cannot bring beauty from. Be that the gift of a child from an unplanned pregnancy or even redemption from the pain and sin of abortion. Nothing has an inevitable outcome. God is faithful. God is good. And because of that, we can trust him no matter what happens. And this is true when we talk about abortion. It's also true when we talk about all issues related to bearing God's image and to human life. Whatever our past is and whatever our present is, God can restore. We sang it this morning. There is nothing broken. I can't remember the, last, <laughs> the next word. There is nothing broken that you cannot make whole, I think is how it goes. We'll look it up later and double check it. The idea is this, we all have brokenness, but God is in the pattern and in the business of redeeming our brokenness and redeeming and restoring the image that he wants us to bear into the world. And so on, on Sanctity of Life Sunday like this, we want to say unequivocally, God cares about life and God cares about each life because you are made in the image of God. That is where your worth is found. It's not found in anything you can do. Because you and I, we, we couldn't make ourselves righteous before God. We can't keep ourselves righteous before God. We come to God on the same level in need of his grace and his mercy. And we come dependent upon his amazing gift through Jesus' death and resurrection. So the question becomes, as we stand for life, how do we stand for life in a way that brings others to life? I, I, I love the mission statement that Renee shared, loving people to life. Be, because the end goal is not just like I have like the ability to breathe. It's, it's not just the end goal of I have a future that is safe and secure, though that is true in Christ. The end goal is what God wants to do in your life today. God wants to bring healing and hope and restoration in your life today. And because of sin, that, that sometimes takes a long process for us because we believe lies about ourselves and we believe lies about the world. And we also have patterns in which we have placed uh, and walked in in our lives where we're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it on my own. So I'm just going to have to try and do my best. And God's saying, I'm here and I want to give you life. And more than that, God wants us as his image bearers, those of us who are in relationship with Jesus, he wants us to be people through whom he can shine and he can image himself, he, that we can be the reflection of God to the world. And there's a great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that helps us see how we can lead people to life. So kind of on the other side of your Bible... I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll have some of this on the, on the screen before us here. 2 Corinthians 3, you can go to verse 16 or so. Um, but he's writing to Corinthians. In Corinthians, uh, just to give you a little bit of a context about the church, 2 Corinthians is written to a church, the same churches that 1 Corinthians is, are written to. And, and the church is, in many ways, just really broken and messed up. In, in fact, there's division that's going on within the church. There's sexual sin of uh, 
large proportion that's going on in the church. There's a great lack of maturity. There's a lack of love. And there's even a good bit of suffering that is going on because of the name of Jesus. But these are people who live in, a, in the city of Corinth, which is over in the southwest part of Greece, just outside of Athens, a couple hours. And their city is known uh, for, sex, for sexual immorality. It's actually a port city. And people know, like there's actually a word that meant to Corinthianize, meant to have all sorts of lewd and not very great behavior. Um, and so he's writing to this church, though. Th- these people who have come into relationship with Jesus as their Messiah from a very broken past. And he wants to remind them of who they are. And so in, in throughout the letters of First and Second Corinthians, he's going to tell them that, that they are Christ's letter who written on their hearts. He's going to tell them that their confidence and their confidence comes from Jesus, not from themselves. He's going to say to them in 2 Corinthians 3 that the Holy Spirit is their new source of life, not their flesh. He's going to contrast two different things. He's going to talk about Moses who looked, uh, who, who met God and he had this glory that shone from his face after he came out of the presence of God. And there was this fading uh, glory to it, but he's going to say, that um, Moses displayed a fading glory from his face after he met with God, but God's glory is going to be something that is going to work in and through these people through the person of the Holy Spirit to illuminate them for what God wants to do because it's the Spirit who brings life through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I love this, uh, this verse right here. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, even to this day, whenever Moses is read. So when he's talking about Moses being read, he's talking about the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Sometimes it's a little more specific than that. It can sometimes refer specifically to the Mosaic Code or the, or the Ten Commandments and some of the other covenantal codes that come with it. But he's saying, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over people's hearts. But he, notice this. He says, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So so there's something, as they look at the glory of God expressed in these books within the Hebrew scriptures, they they see their sin. Like, like there's there's this idea of like, I have to measure up to don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. He says, but when a person turns to the Lord, a veil is removed. In other words, when a person goes from looking at a mirror, and the mirror might be the Ten Commandments saying, do this, don't do this. They look at that and they say, there's absolutely no way I can fulfill this. And that's part of the point of the Mosaic Covenant. He's giving us a picture of the glory and the holiness of God. And that picture should be enough to show any of us, I can't live up to this. And of course, God knew that. God knew that. He's showing them his glory and his holiness. And he's saying, this is who I am. Because he's wanting to expose their need. Their need is, when a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. In other words, when they begin to gaze, not just upon the word of God, but the person of Jesus, and what he wants to do in and through them, there's this veil that's removed. And he says, now the spirit, Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. And he says, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
In fact, there's two different ways. Um, Dr. Robert Gramacki puts this in his New Testament survey. There's two different ways that are being contrasted here. The Judaizers, the people who are saying you have to find your righteousness in the law and in what you do. You, you have to measure up. They're living under an old covenant that expressed God's glory, but was insufficient to empower people for exactly how they wanted to live. It's a letter that kills. It's a ministry of death. It brings condemnation. It's glorious. And actually it says in Romans that the law is holy, righteous, and good because it reflects the character of God. But the problem is, is that we cannot reflect the character of God in our own strength. And this is what is so critical about the new covenant. The new covenant is not just, here's the glory of God. It's, here's the person of Jesus who comes to, to make you holy through his death and his resurrection. Who comes to give you life by the Spirit. He gives you life. There's a ministry of the Spirit that happens here. There's a righteousness that is, big word, imputed. That is given to you. Not because you earn it, but because you receive the righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. And, and this ministry of the new covenant, it exceeds in glory and it remains. See, when it talks about having a ministry to the world where Jesus wants to start is with you and with me. He wants you to know you are made in the image of God. And even though that image was broken at the fall, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And now he wants to shine his life, live his life through you to the praise of his glory. The thing is, is that sometimes as believers, we look in the mirror and we say, I just have to be better. Just get better, Jeremy. Have you ever tried that? <laughs> have you ever tried like, I, to, to discipline yourself so much so? And then it works. Like you've disciplined yourself to get up at 6 a.m. to read your Bible. And then, you know, seven days in or eight days in, you're like, man, it's 6.05. <laughs> There's nothing holy about 6 a.m. In fact, some would say that it's a very unholy time of the day uh, where everybody should still be sleeping. Uh, I may have that opinion some days. Um, um, but the thing is, is you and I, we can look at this, this mirror and say, I have to measure, I have to measure, I have to measure, I have to measure. When Jesus looks at you, he sees you. If you are in Christ, that means if you're a follower of Jesus, by the way, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, he looks at you as the righteousness of God. Positionally, that's how he looks at you. Now, there's a, there's a whole lot, even as followers of Jesus, that he wants to look at, at how you spend your time and how I spend my time and the things that you look at and the things I look at. But the starting place for image comes from, that's right, I could not redeem myself. I needed a savior. Enter Jesus into the picture. Because Jesus is about restoring the defaced image of God. The image of God is in every single one of us. But he wants to restore that image of God to me and to you. So the question becomes then, how do we, how do we walk rightly? How, how, do we, how do we walk with God to restore, to, to, to partner with him in this work of restoration? I'll let you read 2 Corinthians 4 on your own time, but um, 
one of the things, it gives several things in 2 Corinthians 4. Like in verse 2, one of the things, it, it says, it says, therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced shameful secret things. In other words, one of the ways that we help restore, we partner with God to restore the image of God in, in ourselves and in others, practically speaking, um, is that we, we walk in honesty with God and with others. God is not scared of your past. And he's not scared of your present. Adam and Eve, they're the ones who said, wait, we're naked and they hid. God's not scared of that. Adam, where are you? What happened? Did you eat of the fruit I told you not to eat? God's not scared of your past. He's not scared of your present. But it is important that we renounce the shameful and secret things in our lives. Verse 2 also says that we not walk in deceit or, or craftiness or trickery or distort God's message because it's so important for us as we reclaim the image God intends for you and I to have that we go back to what God has said about us and about himself. Go back to the fullness of, of the gospel. Go back to who you are in Christ. Be reminded that you're not defined by what you were before Christ. In Christ, you are God's child, you're God's friend, and nothing can separate you, no, not ever, from his amazing love. Verse 2 also says here, we commend ourselves to every person's conscience in God's sight by an open display of the truth. God cares about his truth because he wants us to walk rightly in relationship with him. He defines what's true because he defined what's good. Because he made everything. Verses 3 and 4 remind us, in 2 Corinthians 4, remind us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see Christ. Christ himself is the image of God. I, I love the prayer that Renee shared. As someone walks in, so, someone walks in saying, don't try to convince me, okay? I probably couldn't convince you anyway. What did they do? They prayed. They prayed. They prayed for a revelation from God to come to this person. One of the ways that we walk, that God wants us to walk in relationship with him as we bear his light to the world is we become people who pray. Because there's a work of the spirit that only the spirit can do. But even as Paul prays in the book of Romans, he, he, he prays that his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters would come to know Jesus. Like, the, their eyes have been blinded by certain things. And he says, God, would you bring a revelation to them through the person and the work of Jesus? I'm greatly paraphrasing Romans chapter 10 right now. He wants them to come to the knowledge that Jesus is Lord. And that Jesus is the Messiah whom they have been waiting for. He wants them to know who they are. In fact, verse 5 here in 2 Corinthians 4 says that we are not proclaiming ourselves, but we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves or your servants because of Jesus. In verses 10 and 11, 2 Corinthians 4, he says, we always carry the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. In other words, sin has no claim over them because they have died to sin and now they are alive to God. And that's the message that they're proclaiming to their world. 
verse 16, just to follow up, and I'll, again, I'll let you read 2 Corinthians 4 later and, and kind of wrestle through some of this stuff. I love what he says in verse 16. He says, therefore, we do not give up. It can be really easy to look at the issues of our world and say, what's the point? Aren't we just on this downhill slide? You and I were made to be image bearers of God and to point and to reflect his love and his light to the world. And as such, the results are in God's hands, but we're invited to partner with him that we might show forth what life actually looks like to people in this world. So on the Sanctity of Life Sunday, we want to proclaim some simple truths. Number one, you are made intentionally in God's image. Number two, God wants to have a relationship with you. And if you've not come into a relationship with him through Jesus, we would love to show you how you can have new life today, a life that is just incredibly worth living and a joy that is inexpressible that the world does not know of. We'd like you to know that there is no sin that God cannot and will not forgive when we come to him. There's no sin that God cannot and will not forgive. Finally, I want you to know that Jesus enables and empowers his disciples to share his love and mercy with the world. It's really easy to think sometimes that we are confident in ourselves as we bear his image to the world. I'll just back up and read from 2 Corinthians 3 where it says this in verse 4. We have this kind of confidence toward, toward God through Christ. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our competence is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit produces life. The ministry that God is going to call you and I to this week will only come because God is living through you. Like that's the effectiveness of ministry, this, this flow through life. And your competency is not in your degree. Your competency is not in all the good things you've done. I'm not saying that study is not important. Don't hear that. I'm not saying that knowing the word is not important. I'm saying that the, re, that the important things that God calls us to, in our own strength, we could never accomplish. But God has made us competent to be ministers of this new covenant in his blood. And this covenant in Jesus that we celebrate today. You are more than enough in Christ to bear his image to the world, church family. We are more than enough in Christ to bear his image to the world as he lives his life through you and through me. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for this morning as we think about what it means to be made in your image, to have the capacity for spiritual relationship with you. God, I thank you that you've created us for that and you've created us with incredible purposes to bear your image to this world. And God, we need your help to do this. So many times, Lord, I think we try to, to do all this work in our own strength. We try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps or we have lies that, that, that stick in between us thinking that, that we're not competent or thinking that we don't have power for 
living as your followers. And God, we don't have power for living as your followers, is the truth. But God, you have given us power through the Spirit. Causes this week, God, each day to wake up and to remember who we are and to come dependent to you for everything we need. Causes this week, God, to look at people differently. Whatever our relationship with them, cause us to look at people the way you see people. Each person being made in your image to reflect your, your life to this world. Especially, God, cause us to look at those who may be antagonistic towards the gospel and to see them the way you see them as a person who Jesus died for. That we might share the message of hope and the message of truth and that they may come to know you as their Lord, as their Savior, and as their life. We thank you for today, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.